We have, over the last couple of weeks, been sharing that we were going to have a special speaker to share his testimony here today. His name is Otis Amy. He is the executive uh, or the area director for Fellowship of Christian Athletes of the Greater Sacramento Area. Uh, in his college days, he was a standout wide receiver at Sacramento State. We share that bond. We are both Hornets. Um, I didn't play football, though, like you did. Because Otis Amy also went on to play for the San Francisco 49ers. Okay, got some fans. Got some fans. He shared at our men's event uh, back in February, and um, we know that you're going to be encouraged by him as he shares his testimony. So why don't you give a warm welcome to Otis Amy? God bless you, man. Good morning. It's always an awesome Sunday. Good, Good Father is one of my favorite songs. It just takes you right in. It's just a, such an awesome song. Happy Father's Day. I just found out, uh, what, it's been two weeks now that my wife is pregnant with our third child. So, awesome uh, Father's Day for us. So, you mentioned FCA. I'm the um, multi-area director in Sacramento, Greater Sacramento. There's over 100 schools in Greater Sacramento, so there's a lot of work to do in the missions fields. A lot of kids that don't have fathers in the home, a lot of kids that... Whenever something happens, I get the report. You know, kids that committed suicide, kids that die, I get all these reports. And so I'm extremely passionate about what I do, and I know it's for such a time as this when God brought me through what he brought me through to do what I do. And literally what I do is I say infiltrate, find a way to get on campuses. We start an on-campus club, and we'll go right during uh, lunchtime, and we, we, we start what we call a huddle. So what that is, we bring food, we bring pizza, we'll bring a speaker like myself, current or former pro, share their testimony. We'll do an invitation to receive Christ right there on public uh, high school campuses. Uh, one of my friends plays, one of my friends that plays for the Kings, we got him to come to a school that are only getting like 15 kids per lunch. He comes, 75 kids come every lunch, 30 kids receive Christ. And then we funnel those kids into awesome churches like this. So that's my job. Um, it's super humbling to be up here because growing up as a young person, I didn't, I didn't place my faith in God. I didn't even believe. Um, I believe by default, and what I mean is there's this whole Big Bang thing that they try to spew at your kids in school, and it never made sense to me that there was some random explosion, and now everything came together perfectly. Um, so, I didn't, like, that doesn't make any sense, and I got in trouble as a youngster. So this whole God thing, I was kind of confused because I watched my mom, who was, uh, like the song says, faithful every single morning, drinking coffee in her word every single day without fail. My dad, on the other hand, ex-construction, military guy, he would never, he would always come to church, never come in. He'd be smoking cigarettes in the parking lot, um, just hanging out. And so as a young man, I'm like, okay, I can kind of sense that's not what I should be doing. I see my mom, but you want to be like your dad. So I grew up very confused until um, later on in life, I kind of got it, like, okay, God. Um, but my thing wasn't even wrapped up in trying to be a follower of Christ. Um, I wanted to play in the NFL for the San Francisco 49ers, 20 minutes away from where I grew up. So I remember, I remember like it was yesterday, so watching Ninja Turtles, Ninja Turtles goes off, and then... Uh, ESPN was on, and Jerry Rice is my favorite player. And I pointed at the screen and said, I'm going to, I'm seven years old, I'm going to play in the NFL for the San Francisco 49ers. So I go through Pop Warner, I go through high school, number one receiver in the entire Bay Area. I'm going to go to Oklahoma, uh, where one of my friends went, and I just won the national championship. I get hurt. Every scholarship offer is off the table. Only one school says, we'll pay for you. We, I, I came from nothing. It was Sacramento State. It's the only reason I ended up in Sacramento. Obviously, I didn't know at the time God was behind the scenes orchestrating everything. So I ended up going to Sacramento State, who, like, Sac I had never even heard of them. I played for, I'd never heard of Sac State. 
Played all four years there. I was told if you can play, they'll find you. Uh, I ended up playing in an East-West Shrine game. I go to a Bay Area workout with the San Francisco 49ers invite 72 of the top players from the Bay or from Bay Area uh, colleges. And so now I enter the NFL draft. I'm told I'm going to get drafted out of seven rounds in the third to the fifth round, which would guarantee I make about $400,000 just to sign my name. And I want to buy my mom a home, which was my, one of my goals. So I end up not getting drafted. I'm bummed. But in the seventh round, uh, which was on a Sunday, I'm sitting in the front, like almost in that exact spot. And praise and worship, my phone's on vibrate, and it goes off. And I'm like, should I answer this during praise and worship? And I go, <laughs> I go running out the back of the church. Everybody's looking at me like I'm crazy. It's a 49ers receivers coach. And he says, hey, son, if we don't draft you, would you want to come as a free agent? So I'm like, yeah, I want to come. So the Bills, the Eagles, and the Patriots called me too. So I ended up not getting drafted. Just so you guys know, it's pretty much impossible to make it. It's a 0.6% chance. So every kid that's playing, that will actually make it. And you only average uh, a career span is three years. So even if you do make it, you're gonna be about 25, 26 when you're done. But I didn't know that my whole identity was wrapped up in this. And so now I don't get drafted, but I'm there as a free agent. There's 11 receivers in camp. The coach says only five of you are gonna make it. Three are already the starters. So eight of us fighting for two spots. And this is the time where I'm starting to be more serious about my faith. And I remember one scripture that my mom threw out to me when I was young. It is Matthew 6 and 33. It's one of my foundational scriptures, which pretty much how she explained it to me when I was young so I could understand it is, baby, if you put God first, he'll take care of the rest in his timing. So, okay, I can, that makes sense. When I was young, it made sense. Now I know the depth and the context of what it means. So I literally would read my Bible first every single night um, when I was in training camp. And my playbook's second. The NFL playbook's like this thick. And you can't afford to miss one play. They literally send you home. Literally, literally cut you. So long story short, I end up putting God first. I end up catching Alex Smith's only touchdown pass of the preseason. Um, I end up having great games against the Raiders, against the Tennessee Titans, to send the game into overtime. And the same coach that told me, son, you don't have a great chance of making it, brought me into a room and said, son, you made the team. So I'm like, wow. This is... So for me, so for me, it's a huge deal. That's the only thing I wanted to do as a youngster was... And it's the highest level you can go. And so the very first time I ever played in a game, I'm the number three perm returner. I'm literally not even supposed to suit up. The number three perm returner, you don't even suit up. You just wear your jumpsuit. You're on the sideline with your iPod just watching the game. The day before the game, the day before the game, and I know this is God now. Back then I didn't know why. He comes up to me and says, son, how would you feel about starting tomorrow at punt return? Me? Sure, sure. I maybe said something else, but I was like, sure. And so now I go back. It's my first time ever it's three and out, and I heard there's some Rams fans here. <laughs> so we're playing against the Rams. This is the first game on TV, nationally televised, ESPN, everything. 64,000 sold out at Candlestick. They go three and out. I jog onto the field. It's my first time ever getting on the field in the NFL game. I'm nervous because I don't know what. I'm scared. I'm not going to lie. I'm supposed to pay attention to all these things. I don't. I, when you get scared, you revert back to you know, your mom. So I was looking at my mom in the bleachers line. Hey, mom. And then my fiance is right next to her, and I'm like, oh, she's just my girlfriend. And then, like, hey, how you doing? All of a sudden, I see the ball in the air. So the, they already snapped it, and then, per return, they kick the ball. Everybody runs at you, even your own teammates. So the ball's in the air. I don't even know all. I literally am saying, Jesus, please let me catch it. And then, and then this happens. So I said, Jesus, as soon as I catch it, that guy's about 6'4, 260. Barely miss. This has to be the Holy Spirit. I don't remember none of these moves. I don't remember any of this. And last thing I said, you can't let the pun attack you. So I go across the end zone. 
And so to this, to this day, to this day, that's a record in the new stadium at Levi's. They have a museum and it has my ugly picture up there um, that I was the first, one of the players to score the first time they ever touched the ball. And so why is that so important? Just a couple more minutes with you guys is that's how I gave my life to Christ. So it, the film cuts out, but after this, after that, I go like this for like five seconds and I'm just standing there and all my teammates come and tackle me. So a year and a half later, I'm out of the NFL, right? Um, I had accomplished every single thing I wanted to do. I bought a BMW, I had all this money, I had all these Jordans, I had every single thing I ever wanted and thought that that was gonna fulfill me and it didn't. I didn't realize there was this God-sized void inside of me. And when I got released from the team, I still don't know why. Um, I, actually, I do know why now. And I'm seeing all these guys that I'm better than still on the team. I'm like, God, you know, I go into blame God mode. I'm like, and, and somehow I end up on YouTube and I actually watched that clip. And God brings it to my, um, memory, my memory, every single thing that you've done, every bit of success has been because of me. And if you want to continue to be successful, go back to that verse. You're going to have to put me first. And so I, I'm weeping, I'm crying, I fall on my knees, and I see a newspaper. It's the front page of the San Francisco Chronicle. And guess what? It's a picture of me going like this, pointing to God. And I'm like, this is crazy. And so right then on the spot, I humble myself. I surrender. I tell God I'm sorry. And I just decide to place my faith and say, Jesus Christ, you are my Lord and Savior. I do believe that, God, you raised him from the dead. And I've been following him through my heirs, through, through all my inconsistencies. He continues to, the Bible says, perfect, which means mature me and grow me and develop me to the point now where I'm the director for a Christian organization. So um, my encouragement to you guys this morning, uh, especially to fathers, is don't do what I did. Because there was a point where I would consider myself to be a fan. And I'm a Golden State Warriors fan um, or advocate. But there's a, they just had their parade, and there's a lot of people that were at the parade but only the players that actually played and the coaches that were actually there, the people that actually labored are going to get a ring, are going to get a check. All the fans don't get anything. And that's the same thing in the kingdom. This last verse I'll share with you is one of the most humbling scriptures I've ever read. It's in Matthew 7, 21 through 23. It says, many, it's talking about church folks, will come to God on that day when they pass and say, and he'll look them plain in their face and say, away from me, I never knew you. And that humbled me because that's where I was at. I was going to church. I would have said I was a Christian, but if he met me, honestly, I, would, I wouldn't have made it to heaven. And so my encouragement to you guys today is don't be a fan. Be a real follower. God has so much he wants to do in your life. He has so many things he wants to do. He says, I am able to do exceedingly abundantly. It doesn't even make sense the, if you're an English teacher. Exceedingly abundantly, far more than you can ask or think. So we can't even fathom what he wants to do, but it starts with us praying, submitting to his will. And the last thing I'll share, Pastor, is uh, you're going to talk about it. It's crazy. My first prayer when I started FCA, I was reading the book of Nehemiah, and I said, God, I want to rebuild the city. I want to rebuild the city, but I'm going to need people to help me. I'm going to need people to partner with me, and it started by praying and fasting, which is incredible. So to all the fathers today, don't be fans. Be, be real followers, because these young men that need you, there's people that are probably here today that need to recommit and rededicate, but it's going to start with prayer and really seeking his face and humbling yourself. So praise God. Amen. Thank you, Otis. Great word and great reminder to all of us about priorities in life and what God wants to do in us. So, well, if you have your outline, go ahead and take that out. We have just a few minutes left to go over God's word and talking about prayer, the fact that God answers prayer.
prayer for each and every one of us. And um, we started this series last week. It really grew out of the fact that this year in 2017 is the year of prayer at First Baptist. We have 10 core values here at the church. One of them is prayer. And you'll remember if you were here back in January of 2016, we took a survey all across the church on those 10 core values. And what we discovered from that survey is that what you wanted in a prayer life was to be more consistent and to be less rushed in your time of prayer. And so if nothing else happens out of this series, I pray that this series will remind all of us of the priority of prayer in our lives and that we will take that time. We will make a commitment. We will take that time to seek God more on our knees in prayer. Whether it be uh, uh, the prayer chapel that we have available before and after the services, or it can be opened up during the week, uh, whether it be to come to our worship and prayer night that we're going to have a little later here in the summertime, whether it be to make a commitment to pray. I, I've had some people say, I'm going to pray um, the first thing that's going to hit the floor in the morning are my knees. Not my feet, but my knees. To pray in the morning, every morning. In fact, I challenge you couples to pray. If you're a married couple, to pray together before you go to bed. Your sex life will increase, okay? Guaranteed, right there, all right? Some men just woke up for the first time right now. I see one going, "Uh uh-huh, that's right. Now you're talking, Pastor. Yes, yeah, come before the Lord with your spouse. And and that was a prayer. Uh, The prayer boards are filled with prayers. Maybe you are one of the first who wrote that up there and put a prayer. I prayed over every one of those requests this week. I read every one of those and prayed over them. Maybe it's the books that some of you have been uh, getting to read that have been available in the Welcome Center. What we hope is that this series will reignite, reignite your passion to pray. And so the story we started last week, as uh, Mr. Amy um, alluded to, is out of Nehemiah. And so if you have your Bibles, open them up to Nehemiah chapter 1, because we see Nehemiah valuing prayer, specifically at a time where he he had to make a major decision. Nehemiah chapter 1, if you can't find it, go to the book of Psalms, which is right in the middle of the Bible. Go back three books, and you'll stumble into the book of Nehemiah. But let me recall with you, as I talked about last week, Nehemiah lived about 450 years before Christ. He was a cupbearer to King Artaxerxes in, in Persia, but he had heard news that the city was torn down. And not only the city of Sacramento, not only the cities of Stockton, but uh, uh, the, 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 the entire city, like Jerusalem and Judea, had torn, been torn down. And uh, he was ready and he was willing to go back, but he had to get it passed by his boss first. And so he goes to the king, but before he does, he takes time to pray, he takes time to fast, he takes time to mourn, he takes time to be before the Lord and say, God... Would you grant favor into what I need to do here? And we talked about last week the pattern that was in place here that's modeled in Scripture. So if you have your outline, let me go over very, very quickly what we covered last week. You have the fill-ins there, and then the backside, we'll get right into that. But we talked about starting with worship, because worship replaces despair with a sense of hope. And so you see the worship that he gave to the Lord in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 5. Then he moves to a place of confession to God, which I said last week replaces guilt with grace. And claiming it as though we have done this, not just others. I'm not trying to blame others. We have done this. My father's generation and I 
have been the ones at fault. And then he walks into a place of claiming God's promises, replacing discouragement with a sense of confidence that God will do what he says he will do. And so let me jump now onto the back part as we finish up this message, which is Nehemiah then did this. He boldly asked for success. Boldly asked for success, which replaces fear with a sense of courage. In fact, would you read this verse together? It's up here in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 11. Read it with me. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Remember what Nehemiah was doing here, okay? Let, let's just get the picture here. He was going to ask the king for a three-year leave of absence to build a wall that the king had torn down. Try that with your boss tomorrow morning. See what kind of response you get from that. But the king says yes. And what, the, where this began, again, was that sense of prayer. In fact, in that verse, verse 11, would you underline six words or circle the phrase? Here it is. Give success to your servant today. It's right there in the middle of the verse. Give success to your servant today. Yes, he's going boldly before the king, but he went to the king of kings first and said, I want your success. So let me ask you this. Have you ever prayed, Lord, make me successful? Have you prayed, give me success? And if you haven't, why not? I mean, what's the alternative? Lord, make me a failure, right? Isn't that the alternative? Why would we pray that? No, we pray, God, Give me success. Make me successful today. There is nothing wrong with praying for success if you are doing it for the glory of God. I'm sure Otis would tell you this. At the beginning, he was living for himself. But then when you reach the touchdown and you point up, you say, God, it's about you. And the Lord humbled him, brought him out of the NFL sooner than probably he wanted. But he sees the reasons now, don't you? And God's using him in an incredible way up in Sacramento and hopefully down here in Stockton as well. As this might become his region as well up here in Northern California with Fellowship of Christian Athletes. We hope that it does. Hope that you'll be a part of what we do here in Stockton of rebuilding that wall. Of rebuilding the church. Of seeing God granting success. There's nothing wrong with asking for success if you're doing it for the glory of God. In fact, here's a thought-provoking statement. If I can't ask God to bless what I'm doing then I better start doing something else. Can you ask God to bless what you're doing? If not, maybe you shouldn't be doing it. In fact, you see the three important observations about prayer. Let me go over those very quickly with you. One, prayer changes things. Prayer changes things. And we're going to look at that a little bit more over the course of this series. Uh, and I cannot tell you exactly how it works but it might be a personal prayer, it might be prayer with groups of people, but prayer changes things. It might change a situation, or it might change the person who's praying that prayer. No matter what, either way, prayer changes things. And if you feel like you're in the mode, in the midst of it not being changed, keep praying, 
keep praying. It changes the situation with Nehemiah. He is granted the request by the king, and he rebuilt the wall, get this, in 52 days. Not even President Trump can build a wall that quickly, First Baptist. Not going to happen, right? It had taken 85 years up to this point. The wall was not finished. And Nehemiah comes in and he prays. The king says, go. And it gets rebuilt in 52 days. It all started with prayer. So let me ask you. Do you have any walls that need to be rebuilt? Do you have any areas of your life that you need to kind of get shored up? Maybe it's a relationship that you're in. Maybe it's with your marriage. Maybe it's part of your family. Maybe you need to repair some relationships, some walls with your children. Maybe, maybe today you need to repair a wall with your father. Just call him up. Say, hey, Dad, I know it's Father's Day, but Dad, I'm sorry for maybe what I've done. Dad, let's rebuild that wall together. Maybe, maybe it's some issue you have, a personal issue. Maybe it's that you don't have control in your life and you've let your addictions grab a hold of different areas. What walls do you have that need rebuilding? I want to challenge you to do what Nehemiah did. Verses 4 and 5 talks about he fasted, he mourned, he prayed. And then what did he do? The four points there. He began to worship God in his prayer. He confessed to the Lord what he had done wrong. Then he takes a step of saying, I'm going to claim your promises. We just sang about that right now. And then the fourth thing, boldly asking God to bless. Have you taken the time to do that? Most of us would probably say, yeah. And I would say, really? Have you really taken that time to do that? In fact, um, after the service, there was a couple who said, we would love for you to anoint um, uh, us after the service and pray for us. And so I told that to the 8 o'clock service, that we're going to do that after the service. And if you'd like to come, please come. A gal came down and she said, I just prayed this week that the elders of this church would anoint me. And here you are talking about that. And so we prayed for her in the, well, in the uh, uh, prayer chapel over to the side over here. And after the service, if you'd like to come and do that, we'd be honored to do that. Because prayer changes things. As we talked about last week, the quote's up here on the screen. You can do more than pray after you have prayed. But you cannot do more than pray, what? Until you have prayed. Until you have prayed. You can go off and run and do the things you need to do after you pray, but pray first. Pray first and get the direction from God. Pray first. And that leads to that second point there, which is this. Prayer should be my first response. It should be my first response. Look at what verse 4 says. It says, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down, I wept, I mourned for days. I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. What's your first response when a big issue comes? Is it anger? Is it drama? Your drama mama? Drama papa? Is it, is it now I'm just going to go do it myself? Or is it to say, God, I'm going to pray? Because in chapter 2, that's where Nehemiah again prays, and God opens a door. And let me remind you, when God opens a door, God opens doors that no man can shut. And God shuts doors that no man can open. Amen? And so here it is. There's another prayer. The king sees how Nehemiah is down and how he's forlorn and he's distraught. And so the king asks Nehemiah, and he says this in verse, uh, chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. He says, then the king said to me, what are you requesting? Uh-oh, now watch this. 
So I prayed to the God of heaven. And he tells him what he prays. May I go? May I help rebuild the wall? Now notice this. I don't think Nehemiah, when he heard the king, you know, say, come forth, let me hear your request, fell on his knees and started to pray heavily again or got down. I, I, I think it was one of those arrow prayers. It was one of those, okay, here, God, I prayed to the God of heaven. I'm shooting this up. Because he had already prayed the heartfelt, on my knees kind of prayer at the beginning of chapter 1. Now in chapter 2, he's ready to step up, but he doesn't forget to pray before words come out of his mouth. God, here goes. I'm stepping up. I'm praying. That should always be our first response. His heartfelt prayer followed with an arrow prayer. You know, when, if you weren't here at the beginning of the service, I announced that Pastor Daryl, our seniors pastor, uh, passed away this last uh, Friday. Um, uh, he suffered a massive injury when he fell at his home uh, to his uh, head, uh, was in a coma for 24 hours, and then passed away on Friday afternoon. Surrounded with his family who was there to love him and care for him. But when I got the call on Thursday, uh, the first thing I did was to pray. Say, God, you have to be in the midst of this. God, would you spare his life? You know the ministry he has here. You know the blessing he has to our church. But Lord, if this is his time, then may you receive the glory. And that's what the girls prayed as well. That's what his wife prayed as well. God, if this is your time. And sometimes you shoot up those arrow prayers because God knows our heartfelt concern. He knows our prayers that we pray in quiet, but in the midst of a situation, as Nehemiah did, shoot up the arrow prayer. And the last point I had on the outline was this, is that when we talk about prayer, we have to make a commitment. Prayer implies a commitment. It implies a commitment. Verse 11, give success to your servant today. Grant him mercy in the sight of this man. In fact, um, you see right below that is the box on your outline. Let me share with you the commitment. Some of you already read through this last week. We didn't get to it last week. But I hope that you've made a commitment, or you will, over the next month. To do your best to hear each week's messages in this series. And I know it's vacation time, and people are here and there and the other place. But, hey, if you can come here early in the morning and then enjoy your vacation time afterwards, that would be a blessing. If you don't get to hear the message, go online. It is on there as well. Secondly... Memorize the Bible verse each week, focused on prayer. And you see the one that's down there for this week? It's the same as last week, so you wouldn't have been behind. 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and heal their land. Do we need that any more at any time than ever, than right now? Absolutely, we do. To pray that prayer back to God be an amazing step that we should be taking. Make that commitment. And then to pray for X amount of minutes a day. I don't know what that is. You decide. Is that three minutes? Is that 10 minutes? Is that 30 minutes? Is that 90 minutes? But it's not about a time of praying. In fact, the next words I think are so key here. Not to earn God's favor or to earn the favor of other people, but simply because I want to reignite the habit of prayer in my life, simply because I want to hear from my God, simply because my God is, is my good, good Father who loves me. Prayer's not a magic pill that we take, but a connection to the living God that we have. So I hope that you will make a commitment in your relationship to God. I know how committed He is to you. Now it's our chance to step up and say how committed we are to Him, and then watch God answer.
Watch God answer him. In fact, I didn't get much of a chance to explain this board last week, but here's what we're going to do. When, um, when God begins to answer some of your prayers, we're going to encourage you to come up at the end of a service and just turn on a light bulb. In fact, already after the 8 o'clock service, we've had a few of the people who have, uh, God um, has answered prayers. And I, as I said, I prayed over all those prayers back there. Many of those are not prayers that you'll see answers in the next four or five weeks, but many are. And so I pray that God will begin to answer. It might not be the way that you want, but God will answer. Many of you, though, have been also praying for these people in these situations since January or since the 24-hour prayer vigil. And if you've seen answers, then during our last time of worship and praise, you just make your way up front. There was a gal in the 8 o'clock service who had a cane. It was hard for her to get up here, but she climbed up, she made it, and she turned this bulb right here. Now, you want to turn clockwise, all right, okay? Get that bulb going, and as I did in the first service, I'm going to turn one right here because God answered one of my prayers this week. I don't have time to talk about it. We'll talk about it over the series, but if God's already starting to answer, you just come on up and you turn one of those bulbs because that's a sense of encouragement to others that we've seen some God answers. So during our worship time now, we're going to open up the altar. And if you'd like to just take some time to come and pray, you can do that on yourself with others. It does not matter to us. After the service, we have the prayer chapel open. We're going to be praying for people. We invite you to go as well. But if you'd like to just make your way up to the front, give encouragement to others that, yep, God's already answering. That would be a blessing as well. Why don't we pause for a moment? We're going to go to a time of worship and prayer. And um, let's ask our Father God, who's a good, good Father, who wants to bless you to do that now. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, for the encouragement that it gives to us. God, I thank you for how you are answering prayers in our lives. Lord, it might not be in our timing. It might not be exactly how we have desired for it to happen, but God, you answer. And when you do, we will celebrate, we'll rejoice, we'll know that we have heard from you. Father, I know that there are many in here who are coming in need of a touch from your hand. Um, Folks, maybe today you are even seeking some direction, like Nehemiah was seeking. And my encouragement to you would be, have you prayed? Have you prayed about what you're going through? Maybe it's something with your health. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's a friend of yours or a family member. Maybe it's a relationship issue that you're dealing with. Maybe it's something with your finances. Maybe it's some type of fear or anxiety that you have. Maybe just a sense of uncertainty that you have. In fact, if you'll do this, if, if you just want me to be praying throughout this week, I'd ask you to do this. Just with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you just want me as your pastor personally just to be praying for you specifically, if you just take a moment just to look up here and just lift up your hands and let me make eye contact with you. Praise God. Yep, yep, specifically. Uh Uh-huh. You got it. Absolutely. 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 Hands all over. Yep, up in the balcony. I see them. Yes. You got it. You got it. Absolutely. I will pray for you specifically this week. God, I thank you for those in this congregation who are honest enough to know they're bringing baggage in, bringing hardship in, they're bringing a burden in. Lord, we don't want them to leave with it. We want to leave it here at the foot of the cross. We want to leave it here at the altar. And so, God, we pray over each and every one of these concerns, the heaviness that it brings. And, Lord, we pray, we pray, we pray that you would answer. 
And may it give these people success because, Lord, I know they're praying for your glory to be done. It's not about their will, but it's about your will be done. And so, Lord, would you grant them favor? Lord, would you grant them success in the steps that they take? Because we know that you're a God who answers. Father, as we worship now, and even as we come to the altar, Lord, may your presence be so present. May we have a time of rejoicing. May we have a time of confession. May we have a time of just your presence and others praying with us. Or we just bow on the knee. Say, God, do your God thing. And God, may you answer. For it's in the name of Jesus that we now pray.